This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so delighted you've joined me tonight as we attempt to turn this studio into a sanctuary and worship the living God. My name is Hal Brady, and I trust that the program will be a blessing both in word and song. Welcome. Now would you hear please the reading of God's word. It comes from 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The subject was Valentine's Day and I was surfing the internet. I came across something called My Love by Bobette Bryan. I'd like to share this with you, it was so beautiful. I love you, I need you so much. I live to see your smile, to hear your voice, to feel your touch. I love you more than the sun in the sky. I love you more than the earth and the stars. Where I find happiness, you'll never be far. You are a blessing, truly heaven sent. You've made my life full, my soul content. And every day I'll give my heart to you. It's not so hard to do when there's someone like you to make my heart sing from a love so fine and true. While this Valentine's Day message is beautiful, it is hardly characteristic of what we call Christian. When Christians speak of love, we're not thinking so much of the emotional as we're thinking of the will. Even though for sure there's an emotion in love, no question about it, but that is not the central aspect of Christian love. Christian love, as I said, has more to do with the will than the emotion. Indeed, it's been defined as a set of the will for the eternal welfare of another. At this point, we're beginning to deal with Valentine forever. Now, the writer of 1 John is deeply concerned about the fatigue he sees, the love fatigue he sees in the world all around him. He's even more concerned about the 
Love fatigue he sees developing in the community of faith. He wants God's people to know that God expects them to love and to keep on loving. He wants God's people to know that God expects them to love and not grow weary in well-being or well-doing. I like the story of a couple who was celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. They were sitting by themselves alone, and all of a sudden the wife held up a champagne glass and she said, in spite of everything, in spite of everything, in spite of everything, in spite of everything, that's it, isn't it? In spite of everything, God loves us. Valentine forever. Ready now, how is it possible to love and to keep on loving? That's what I wanted to think about for a few minutes tonight. And I think we find clues from our scripture. First, there's the motivation of love. The motivation of love. Love comes from God. Better still, love comes from our relationship with God. It comes from our relationship with God. We love because God first loved us, and we understand that. Hear me now. Our ability to love is not a product of our own hearts. Let me say that again. Our ability to love is not a product of our own hearts. We simply cannot make ourselves love. How very difficult it is to love. A minister was describing in his church a woman who was invited to go to a meeting in another woman's house. She was on a church committee. And this woman said to him, because of what she's done, I will never set my foot in her house. The minister said, how long have you been a member of this church? She said, 27 years. And then the minister recalled the preachers who were there during those 27 years and the fact that they were capable ministers. And then he said, do you mean to tell me in these 27 years, what have you heard in this church? What have you heard in this church about the love of Christ? He was challenging her, and she really did not have an answer at that point. How very difficult it is to love, even when circumstances are good. Awas, who is the professor of Duke, his name is Stanley, he was a professor at Duke and teaches ethics. He said whenever he married a couple, he always gave them an envelope. It was a sealed envelope, and he told them not to open the envelope when they got home or any time except when the marriage got into great trouble. Then he said, open it. And so when they opened it, they would find these words, everybody marries the wrong person. Everybody marries the wrong person. A minister was preaching, and he said in his sermon, there was only one perfect person in the world. A man in the field immediately interrupted and said, two, Jesus and my wife's first husband. I repeat, our ability to love is not the product of our own hearts. John helps us here in this epistle. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Jürgen Moltmann adds, Our capacity to love always comes out of our experience of being loved. William Barclay, this great Scottish theologian and preacher, he said that there was this very weak person who went through temptations and yielded to them and became degenerate. He said, but this very weak person had a strong friend of loving nature and of loving purposes. And he said, this friend of loving nature and loving purposes rescued this friend who was having such a problem and was so degenerate. 
And then he said, how does this person who was so degenerate maintain the process of being in love? He said it can only occur if he maintains contact with his friend. If he refuses to maintain contact with his friend, he'll go back to his old life. And so essentially, how do we love and keep on loving? We have to maintain contact with the source of our love, which in this case is Almighty God Himself. A minister shared an experience out of his own boyhood. He said he lived in a small town where his father was a banker. His father's name was Art Berenger. And for 47 years, he was a banker. And he said everybody in that town had had some kind of dealing with him over those 47 years. He said, the minister said, when he was in high school, he was asked to sell ads for the yearbook. He said, as a matter of fact, he sold more ads than anybody in the history of the school. He said, all I had to do was tell them that I was the son of Art Berenger, and they would give me the ad. He said, I was a success because I knew somebody who was well thought of in the faith. Well, that's also true of us. We too can be a success simply because we know someone who's well thought of in the faith, and that is Almighty God Himself. So how do we become instruments of love, continuing love, in a world that's grown tired of love? Definitely it has everything to do with maintaining contact with the source of that love, and I'm talking about God. Love comes from God. Love comes from our relationship with God. And then secondly, there's the madness of love. Now, the Greeks had four ways of describing love. They used storga, which is natural affection. They used eros, which is sexual attraction. They used philia, which is friendship love. And they used agape, which is unmerited, unconditional, sacrificial love. Now, I want you to listen to the way it's put by John in our scripture lesson. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, in our love, in our world today, we see most of the time conditional love. In other words, it's how attractive a person is, how much ability a person gains, whether a person can do the job or not. It's all of those things that made people valuable in the world today. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God sends a different message to us. God says we are accepted anyway. Agape accepts us anyway. Even though we have failures and shortcomings, God still believes in us, values us, and accepts us just as we are. Stating it differently, we don't have to earn God's love. God loves us, period. As John put it, in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as the expiation for our sins. The expiation for our sins. There's a tribe in Africa that has a wonderful way of dealing with people who do things in an unjustly way. For instance, here's a person who commits a crime. What do they do? They don't put the person in jail. What they do, they put the person in the center of the ring. Nobody works that day. Men, women, and young people, they all gather around this person. Nobody says one bad word. All they do is give this person every positive thing they can think of him. Everybody goes around the ring and tells this person everything positive they can think about him. Not one negative word. 
And when it's all over, they hug him and welcome him back into the community with forgiveness and full acceptance. Now, there are two things that we need to know about ourselves because it's true of all of us. First of all, we are all rag dolls, flawed and wounded, bent and crooked. Secondly, we are all God's rag dolls. We are all God's rag dolls. Therefore, he knows about our raggedness and loves us anyway. So I tee off at a golf course, and what do I do? I hit my ball deep into the woods. So I'm trying to mark the path that the ball went into so I can go hit it again, when all of a sudden the people I'm playing to say some magic words. They say, you can have a mulligan. What that means is they say, we won't count that shot against you. It won't go down on your scorecard. It won't ever be remembered. It's totally forgotten. And so when I think to myself, boy, I have a clean, clean way here, a fresh opportunity. That's not counted against me. Nothing else is counted against me. That mulligan is sort of a grace note in an otherwise serious game. It's a grace note in an otherwise serious game. But you know, when I think about a mulligan freeing me up from something I've done, a shot that was went awry, I think, well, you know, I could use a mulligan in other areas of my life. For instance, when I wound somebody, when I get mad out of line, when I do things like that, I could use a mulligan. And thank God that mulligan is available at the cross of Jesus Christ. Always for raggedy people like me, that mulligan is available at the cross of Jesus Christ. Harry Emerson Fosdick said that nobody treated Abraham Lincoln as badly as Stanton. He called him a low, cunning kid. He called him an original gorilla. But Abraham Lincoln never responded in any way badly towards Stanton. He accepted him and years went on. He even made him his war minister because Stanton was the most capable person he had. But then came that assassination night in Ford's Theater. Abraham Lincoln was shot. When he was taken out of the theater, he was taken into a little room, and in that room was Stanton. Stanton was looking down at Lincoln's face, and then he said, there lies the greatest ruler of mankind that the world has ever seen. Do you see? It was agape love that won the day, unmerited, unconditional, sacrificial love that won the day. How great that is. Now, the writer of 1 John doesn't say to us, go out there and love, 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 in a world that's tired of love, because he knows we can't do it. What the writer wants us to do is to remember what God has done for us in forgiving us of our sins, so consequently we can remember that and forgive others of their sins. That's the madness of love. That's the madness of love. And then there is the mission of love. I'd like for us to think about this. Listen to these passages of Scripture. The writer of 1 John says, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Jesus said that the greatest commandment, the one that makes the most difference, is love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said in Colossians 3:14, Above all, clothe yourselves with love. And then he said, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Notice these two words, clothe yourselves, put on, dress up. We decide to love. 
we make a decision to love. Now, what I'd like to do is share with you a few illustrations of how you can understand the mission of love. And I think you can understand it in these illustrations. Back in 1956, Martin Luther King's home was bombed. The people in the neighborhood who responded to that bombing armed themselves with weapons. They came into King's presence. King said to them at age 26, he had a vision already, not of this world. And he said, no, he said, I want you to take your weapons home, put them back in the closet where they're safe and out of sight. He said, a nation, a nation that does an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is bound to be, he said, a nation that is toothless. And he said, a nation that is awry. He said, we must find a more effective way, a greater measure. He was talking about love. Now, let me give you a few quotes that I'm aware of. Jim Wallace, in his book on God's side, says that today, both political sides take a problem and do two things with it. First of all, they try to make us afraid of it. And secondly, they blame the other side. What they don't do is work together to confront the underlying causes of our problem and solve the issue for the common good. The common good in this way is the way of love. Brian McLaren has written a book called When Jesus, Moses, Buddha, and Mohammed Crossed the Road. In that book, he's concerned about the world's hostility, and he's trying to bring about solidarity, and he says, how is this going to occur? He says, it's going to occur when all the religions began to work together to bring about this solidarity. And then he said this, McLaren writes, we are increasingly faced with a choice, I believe, not between kindness and hostility, but between kindness and non-existence. That's the choice we must make. That's the road we have to cross. There was a great mathematician named Paul Erdos. He heard about a young fellow that was interested in mathematics. He wanted to go to Harvard. So this fellow sought him out. He didn't have much money, but he said, listen, I will loan you $1,500 so you can go to Harvard. That was way back when. The young man took the 1500 and then Ernest told him, he said, you can pay back whenever you can, as long as it takes, whenever you can. There came a time when this young man had graduated from Harvard, was teaching at Michigan, and he called a mutual friend, and he said, listen, he said, now I can pay back. He said, but what should I do? The mutual friend asked Erdos. Erdos said, just tell him to do with the $1,500 what I did. You see, he was passing it on. He was passing it on. A man went to a psychiatrist about the best thing he could do for his children. He mentioned things such as taking them to school, giving them a good uh, education, teaching them religious morals, providing all the necessities of life, setting a good moral example. The psychiatrist said, all these things are wonderful, but you have not mentioned the best thing you can do for your children. The man wondered aloud, what's more important than all of these things? The psychiatrist said, the best thing you can do for your children is love their mother. Are you listening to me, husbands? The best thing you can do for your children is love their mother. Are you listening to me, wives? The best thing you can do for your children is love their father. That is absolutely the very best thing. Now, St. Francis of Assisi wrote some wonderful words in describing our mission of love. Listen to these words. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. 
Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born again to eternal life. There is the mission of love. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for this particular subject of Valentine forever. We know that Valentine is more than simply sharing an emotional tit for tat. Yet we know, O oh God, that Valentine's Day has something to do with the eternal love of, that you have for us and of our eternal love for you and others. So help us, O oh God, to be faithful. Help us, O oh God, always to lift you up in every way we can. Bless those who are listening and bless those who are watching. It's all in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining me for this worship experience tonight, and I trust you'll share it with others and join us again next Thursday night. Have a good evening. Good night.
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031 or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.